I started a while back <clears throat> preaching from my my tablet instead of using paper because I, for some reason, have developed this unfortunate trust of technology. <laughs> but I remember this summer I was speaking <clears throat> at a church camp up near where I grew up. Actually, it was a church camp I went to as a kid, and yet they still allowed me to come back and speak. I'll never really fully understand that, but I was so nervous about the topic. The topic was new paradigms in Christian mission. And it was, I was addressing a, a collection of missionaries and people who were potentially going to be missionaries. And one of the people there actually had been a missionary for 65 years. I haven't been sitting up taking nourishment for 65 years. <laughs> what do I have to say to these people? I remember I was terrified. And so I was on the Wi-Fi in the cafeteria of the church camp at 5 o'clock. I was preaching at 7. And I Googled new paradigms in Christian missions. <laughs> the first two things were total nonsense. They were some uh, foreign site that was not translated. And actually, I don't know how Google even came up with this. And the third thing said... 2012 Lake James School of Missions, J.D. Hyde will be presenting on New Paradigms and Christian Missions. And I was in a panic. And I remember crying out, my Google, my Google. Why? Never mind. That's terrible. So I, I, I was walking up here today and I thought, man, I'm so glad I printed this thing off just in case this fails me. But you guys have been on the road to Bethlehem and uh, now having, having arrived in seeing the Christ child, have, having considered this gift that's been delivered on Christmas, I want to talk to you a little bit about continuing your journey. I saw a sign last night. We won't start these yet, but I saw a sign last night. I was at a, I was at a restaurant, uh, a, a Mexican restaurant there by the hotel, and I sat down and, and there was nobody sitting at the bar. And when I'm traveling, that's generally where I prefer to sit because it's a chance for me to have somebody to chat with. So I sat down there, and sure enough, eventually people came, and the guy said, what would you like to drink? I said, I'll take a water and lime. And he went away, and he came back. And as he went away, I was actually reading some of the, the tchotchkes and signs and stuff that they had around. And there is a sign at the end of the bar. I think it's uh, Phil Sandoval's restaurant. Okay. There is a sign at the end of the bar that says, all drinks contain one and one quarter ounce of alcohol. And about that time, he set my water in front of me. I thought, if I get a DUI in Alabama, nobody is going to believe that I ordered a water and lime. But anyway, so that got me thinking, though, about signs and, and what they mean and whether or not people really think about what they say when they put them up. So, of course, there are the funny signs, like, uh, like my first sign today. The, I saw this, and this one really did crack me up. Hopefully the technology doesn't fail you, as it did for me. But um, see if you guys can appreciate that one. <laughs> yes. 
For those of you who may, like me, have gone to the midnight showings of all three of the movies in the series, the next sign you, uh, you might really appreciate. <laughs> yes, my wife went with me to the premiere of the first movie. After that, she said, you and the rest of those people can go on your own. <laughs> like, but honey, there's a whole row of elves behind us. Come on. This is great. Uh, for those of you that may have seen another movie, you might appreciate this sign. <laughs> yes, and uh, the last sign, which actually is a real sign, which uh, I think that you might also be able to appreciate. <laughs> it's a dead end, kids. <laughs> Don't go to the meth Bible camp. Whatever you do. (laughs) Yeah. There are signs all around us. Some of them will take us to some place that we want to be. Some of them will take us to some place that we should never go. I don't know about you guys, but I've never been lost. You can ask my wife. I have confidently driven into places not having any idea how to get to where I was going. But I can say I've never been lost because I've always known where I was. Now that I have Google Maps on my phone, I was able to drive here with only one illegal U-turn. What's that? Honestly, it was really good, though. And it's a rental car. I can do amazing things in a rental car. Have any of you all ever been in a Fiat 500? Okay, don't ever get into one. And don't ever buy one from the Enterprise Rent-A-Car Company because if you get the one that I used the other day, it has 600 miles on it right now and it's already on its last leg. (laughs) That thing, that poor car. I felt really bad trying to make that car get through Orlando, but it got through Orlando. But as as I've traveled around, as I've seen these different signs and I've thought about these things, I I have to be honest, I travel a lot, but I've gotten to really like being home. I love getting, I love when I'm in different places. I'm ecstatic to be here. The idea that uh, I would be able to preach a sermon in a place other than a congregation that had hired me for out of some sort of pity and continued to pay me so that I stayed (laughs) is just fascinating to me. But the ability to be able to travel and share God's word is a tremendous blessing. But for those of you that were, you know, had your heart set on barbecue, as did I last night, you know that travel plans don't always work out so well. And I hate getting places. When I'm world czar, TSA will cease to exist. I'm sorry if you work there, you'll be able to find a good job. Good for you. It's going to go away, and American Airlines is going to be the next to go. (laughs) I was on Delta yesterday. I was on a lot of Delta flights yesterday. The red coats are back. I know. I met them all. I met them all. They're lovely people. They're lovely people. I just wanted to be here. There was barbecue forecast, but there was also snow forecast. Found that, too. But I love being able to go places and talk to people and share God's word. 
as he has put it in my heart and he has put that passion in me, I love being able to preach. And so, so many times I get asked to tell people about Lifeline and I was ecstatic when I got the, the word today. You'll be able to talk about Lifeline in Sunday school. Can you please preach the word to the sermon? That's a blessing to me. I want to talk to you a little bit today from the seventh chapter of Acts. I want to talk to you about the least effective defense that a person has ever given in a death penalty case. The least effective defense that a person has ever given in a death penalty case. I'm not sure if he understood that he was on trial for death, but his defense, even if it were for a speeding ticket, got him there. It's Stephen's speech to the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 7. And we're going to start in verse 2. The high priest is asking the question, are these charges true? And like so many people, when asked a question, Stephen, instead of giving a yes or no, gives a really, really long speech and then answers a question with a question. Same kind of question that I'm going to pose to you today. But in Stephen's speech to the Sanhedrin, he replied, Brothers and sisters, listen to me. The glory of God appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans to settle and settled in Haran or Haran, depending on where you're standing. After the death of his father, God sent him to the land and where you are now living. He gave them no inheritance here, not even a foot of ground. But God promised him and his descendants after him that he would possess the land, even though at that time Abraham had no child. God spoke to him in this way. Your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. They will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years but I will punish that nation where they serve as slaves. And afterwards they will come out of that country and worship me in this place. Most of us are not from here. Most of us are not from here. I live in Columbus, Ohio. I did not grow up in Columbus, Ohio. For those of you that don't know, in eight days Columbus, Ohio will be home to the only undefeated football team in the country this year. (laughs) Hey, I just predicted you guys a win over Notre Dame and you're going to boo me. (laughs) It's a tough crowd. (laughs) Tough crowd. (laughs) But anyway, I'm going to tell you, having grown up in Ohio, there are two things that I love every year, and that's watching Ohio State win football games and watching Notre Dame and Michigan lose them. (laughs) And so if y'all can just take care of that next week, I'm good with it. Please just throttle them. Where I grew up, the fan base was very split between Ohio State fans and a group of obnoxious hooligans that cheered for those two teams. But in, in... the thought, and in that same vein of not coming from that place, I was always frustrated when people would cheer for them, and i go, do you not know where you live? 
Yeah, but I got family in Michigan. I'm sorry. I grew up in the Toledo area. I achieved escape velocity. I didn't even realize I'm in Huntsville. That actually plays down here. I say that up north and they're like, I don't even know what that means. You can Google it. You can Google it. It's cool. It's totally cool. But my parents, my grandparents, even though I would have been the fourth generation in Toledo, it's one more generation. We weren't even from this country. We are in a place that was not so many times of our own choosing. We're not from there. How many of y'all are second generation in Huntsville, Alabama? Isn't that, I think about that. We are a people. I'm telling you, this world has gotten smaller, and as it's gotten smaller, we can get places as long as we don't try to use airlines. We can travel all around. And in doing so, we need to understand that we are not, part of understanding that you're not from here should also help us begin to appreciate that we don't always have to stay in that place. But most of us are in a place that we are glad to be. So many people in my, uh, in my office were jealous of the fact that I was coming down here because they are complaining. They love living in Columbus. They are so proud. And then December and January hit, and they hate Columbus. And they can't drive. I post my Facebook status the other day was most of y'all should be home. I did that while I was driving down the road. I was so sick of looking at these people. I'm just kidding. I had pushed two people out of the ditch, and I had had enough. I drive that suburban around with a toe strap for a reason. <laughs> Try to do good Christian service to people who got no business buying milk and eggs <laughs> in the midst of a snowstorm. Go eat a Pop-Tart. Wait like four hours. You can drive wherever you want. <sighs> I want you to know every airport I was in yesterday, it snowed, including this one. But I'm glad to be here. I hate getting here, but I'm glad to be here. And as you are in a place, wherever that is, understand that even though you are here right now, we are in transition at all times. The goal of Mary and Joseph was to get to Bethlehem for a census. They weren't looking to stay. Not only that, they didn't get to stay anywhere after that because they ended up having to go to Egypt. But I'll tell you guys, as much as I travel, I do like to be home. And I've noticed that I have started to spend more and more time getting things the way that I want them around my house. When I'm home, I'm home. My chair is my chair. My basement is my domain. I let the kids come down if they're like bringing me stuff or asking me a question. But I like where I live. People say, do you want to go camping? No. I spend a lot of money on this house every month. Why well, don't want to go sleep outside? Some of y'all are probably campers. I, you know, God bless you. I don't get it. <laughs> Ask Wells Fargo. I'm not going anywhere. 
But my fear is so many times, guys, when we settle into a place, whether it's our home, whether it's our church, whatever the place is, that we begin to get ourselves so comfortable that we got nowhere else to go. And that's a huge mistake. When Stephen starts his defense to the Sanhedrin, he is trying to explain to them that there is somewhere else to go. His story is a story of transition. It's not a story of, look at all this great stuff we've done so that we can get to here. But he begins to tell them more and more and more. He says he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision, rescued him from all his troubles. Then a famine struck Egypt and and Canaan. And now he's got people moving different places. And we've got Joseph and his brothers sold him into slavery. So he ended up, but then they had to go down there and they had to check on him and get some food and whatnot. And so eventually the people moved into Egypt. And in each and every instance, God found them where they were. But God never, never expected them to get so comfortable as they did. Stephen tries to make them see where they are and where they've been. And as I've said, it's probably the worst defense ever. It really was like going in for a speeding ticket and leaving with a death penalty. He was probably going to get whooped. He ended up getting dead. And so Stephen, as he gives this defense, says, well, Abraham was here. He had to go there. He couldn't stay there. He, then his family went here. Then they came back here. And he, after this recap of all the places that they've been, nobody understands that he's trying to tell them, you can't settle here. There's one place left to go. But they just don't want to hear it. Abraham to Haran, the patriarchs to Egypt, Moses to Canaan, David to Jerusalem. And then finally, he gets to a point to talking about Jesus. Let's look at verse 47. I want you to look at verse 47. Because this is where it really starts to matter. And I think I have it. Do you have a scripture for me here too? He actually quotes, I'm seeing some jars. I know I didn't do jars. Hoping those are your jars. They're not my jars. I brought no jars. If I did, I'm pretty sure they'd be in Dallas. It was the only airport I did not go to yesterday. <laughs> These, oh, don't get me started. People said, did your luggage get here? I said, I don't know, but it was carry-on. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I have made more donations to TSA in the form of inadvertent knives, leathermen, and screwdrivers. I'm telling you, they actually opened up a TSA craftsman outlet store somewhere in Miami. I don't know. I know it made it to Miami. I don't know where it went after that. I had a bag of tools one time. It was so big it wouldn't fit in. I used a golf bag to try to get a rebar cutter into Haiti. Okay? And out of the top were these two handles what looked like horns out of the top of my golf bag. It's the funniest looking thing ever. And the person goes, you can't take that on this plane. I go, well, I got here from Columbus. Well, they should never have let you do that. What are you going to do with this? I said, I'm going to take it to Haiti. Not like that, you're not. What do you expect me to do? 
Now it's a test of wills between me and the gate agent. She goes, take it over there and get that thing wrapped. This thing weighed over 100 pounds. Have you ever seen those little things where the guys use a saran wrap around it? You've never seen him try to do it with a bag this long, this big around at the bottom. And he starts trying to saran wrap it, and he ends up actually falling the thing off. It falls off the rack, and he's rolling it on the floor trying to wrap it. He's hitting people on the ankles who are sitting there. They have nothing to do with anything. And this one woman started to complain. He yelled at her like it was her fault. And he's wrapping on my bag. He's wrapping on my bag. And finally, he gets all done with it. And I go, how much do I owe you? He goes, I can only charge you $14. All right. Actually, I gave the guy a $20 bill. I drug this thing up there. It looked like a green chicken leg of the world's biggest chicken. But there was saran wrap over the top of those two handles, and the woman said, I'll take it. It made it to Haiti. I have no idea why. I just cannot tell you. That's one thing about traveling by camel. I'm pretty sure all of Abraham's stuff got where he was going. (laughs) Anyway. So we get to the point in the story, though, where Solomon is finally going to build a place so that God doesn't have to go anywhere anymore. Here's a place for you, God. And it was Solomon who built a house for him in verse 47. However, the Most High does not live in houses made by men. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of a house will you build for me? A really nice New England style cottage. It's going to have a couple of different peaks on the roof. It's going to have a nice addition on the back sunroof. What kind of house will you build for me? Where is my resting place to be? Has not my hand made all these things? You are a stiff-necked people. I actually heard a person say one time, you are a stiff-necked people, and it just sounded really (laughs) bad. With uncircumcised hearts and ears. Come on, stay with me now. (laughs) I'm having way too much fun in Huntsville. Thank you for the coffee, by the way. That was the best six cups of coffee I ever had. He said, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed the one who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was put into effect through angels, but have not obeyed it. Stephen is there in trial in a place that is the home of God, and yet God himself told Solomon, I am not going to stay in a place that you build for me. That's not what it's about. I have found you in all these places, and Jesus, my own son, has told you to go into all the world, and yet you're holding me in trial in a place where God has already said, I'm not stuck here. And when Jesus died, the temple curtain was torn. You know He's not hanging out there anymore. Go into all the world is the command that was given, and yet you killed that guy. I'm doing exactly what He said, and you want to hold me for trial in this place. And the people said, exactly, Stephen, that's right. We need to leave from here. We need to go out there and tell other people about our God. Now they didn't. They covered their ears. You know why they didn't want to hear it? You know why they didn't want to hear it? Because it's really easy to stay. It's really hard to go. 
I'm going to tell you why you should go. And I don't just mean to Haiti, Honduras, El Salvador, Cuba, Guatemala, Arizona, Canada, or the places that we go. I want to tell you about the place that you should really want to go. In a house not made by human hands. Because this is not a place to get real comfortable. Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Only my dog thinks that my feet are a place to hang out. Only my dog would want to chew on a sock that I had already worn. This week, the count is three. Dog three, JD zero. But if the stars are God's throne and the earth is his footstool, how many of us live like this is the best place we'd ever want to be? How many of us have started feathering our nests? How many of us have tried so desperately to make this place more comfortable? Are we about going or are we about staying? I want you to think about something. I want you to think about this very seriously. How many of us have ever used money that was inherited from somebody who has passed away to improve a house that we are not going to live in forever. At a time when we should be contemplating eternity, how many of us spent that money on something that's passing away? You see, when we try to think about eternity, we end up thinking about our current comfort. So where are you headed? Jerry Clower did a whole bit one time about, do you know where you'll be when you get where you're going? I will spare you the story of him blowing up the rats out of the hen brooder. <laughs> I love that story. He talks about how they lit all the, I won't, I'll spare you most of the story. How they blew up them rats and they was, most of them were on fire and they all took off running. One of them was running toward, a, toward the barn. Had 5,000 bales of hay in that barn. Rat on fire, heading for the hay bales. He said, that was a time in my life where I didn't know where I'd be when I got where I was going. <laughs> the only thing that matters, it's not where you're at. It's where you'll be when you get where you're going. It's the reason that I go. It's the reason that I ask you to come with me. Because you better be sure. 
This place is not worth staying. So we must be on the move. We have to be on the move, taking the gospel. In my father's house, there are many mansions. Were it not so, I would have told you. But I go there to prepare a place for you, that if I go, you may be there also. Do you know that's where you're going? Don't stop at Bethlehem. Accept the call to come to Christ and to the command to go into the world. In both ways, we pray that God finds us faithful. As the praise team comes forward today, I want to offer you that invitation. You might know where you are. But if you don't know where you'll be when you get where you're going, come forward today. Take that step. Accept his gift. And be transformed with an eternal hope. As the praise team gathers, let's pray together. Father, I do thank you so much for the opportunity to know today where I'll be when I get where I'm going. Thank you for the grace of your Son, Jesus Christ, whose sacrifice makes it possible for us to have that assurance and that hope. And Father, as you have called us to come into your kingdom, you have also called us to go into the world. And whatever challenge you've laid on the hearts of those here today, I pray that they would be faithful to respond to it in this time. We ask these things in Christ's name and all God's people said.